back to our podcast, and today we're going to be discussing some radioactive decay and different kinds of nuclear change. So, do you want to start off? Um, okay. Well, radioactive decay is kind of an extension, I'd say, on our understanding of the atom. Um, because it basically shows how atoms can change and go from one element to the other, or how they can change their properties um, a bit. So that's just, instead of like every atom being identical, you start to see how isotopes form and how atoms can be stable or unstable and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's kind of the reason we have different anomalies in atoms, and they're not all identical and all the same. So we had, end up having these different variations, which is super cool, because you think, you know, it's fine, we have these elements, like there's just froth, there's phosphorus, and now there's like, well, never mind, because now there's isotopes, and there's all the diff- these different things because of all these changes that can happen to them. Alright, so um, I guess kind of the actual good definition of radioactive decay would be fixing an unstable atom by changing its number of protons or neutrons, typically. Um, So the first type of radioactive decay, we kind of talked about this earlier, was discovered by Ernest Rutherford. Um, He discovered alpha and beta radiation, um, named it based on convenience. Alpha radiation was basically he called it very readily absorbed, meaning that it could be absorbed easily into a metal foil. And beta radiation was, it had a more penetrative character, those are his words, um, which meant it can pass through basically a hundred times more thickness than alpha radiation before it is absorbed itself. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, If you actually We'll start talking about it uh, momentarily, but you will start to see why that is and the certain characteristics based on you know, the size of beta particles versus alpha particles and what they are and all that stuff. All this interesting and sort of <laughs> complex stuff, but it's mostly interesting. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's not super complex. Um, there are more complex radioactive decays, but Alpha and beta radiation are probably the simplest ones, sort of, maybe. It's on the simpler side. (laughs) So, alpha decay is when an atom, it starts because an atom is typically too large. So, typically it's with the heavier elements. Um, Your heavy metals going down closer towards uranium and your transuranic elements, which are elements beyond uranium, and those tend to be synthesized in a lab. Uranium is typically the heaviest natural element that you'll find. What happens is if an atom is too large, it will eject two protons and two neutrons, um, which is in the form of an alpha particle or also known as a helium atom. So. Helium atom is the second atom in the periodic table, contains two protons, two neutrons. This might be kind of um, a stupid question, but why does it eject helium instead of hydrogen? Um, I don't 
know entirely probably has to do with how the convenience of it for the atom um because it's probably easier to emit i honestly don't know i would assume it has to do with emitting two protons and two neutrons instead of one um that yeah that would that probably a, that is a good question i don't entirely know um yeah it probably is easier though and that would be why trying to look at this real quickly and some references to see if I can give an answer to that, but nope, <laughs> can't tell you. But yeah, so I guess to kind of give an example or to explain alpha decay, so like I said, it's with heavier elements. So uranium-235, which would be uranium that has an atomic mass of 235 atomic mass units, meaning it would contain 92 protons because uranium is element 92 and the atomic number designates how many protons you have and then knowing the atomic mass, you can subtract the atomic mass and the, you know, the atomic number from the atomic mass so you can get the number of neutrons. So if you have uranium-235, you would have 143 neutrons and you would have 92 protons if uranium-35 is a very unstable isotope of uranium um it's actually the isotope that is most commonly fissionable in, in comparison to the stable one that's for another 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 time to talk yep. about fission um it undergoes uh alpha decay to stabilize it would then lose two protons and two neutrons so it would go from element 92 to element 90, which is thorium. It would eject an alpha particle. So its atomic mass of 235 would go down by four to 229. I know that's a lot of stuff. It's really hard to yeah, uh, but follow so, that verbally, but. So basically we have uranium and it has I don't remember exactly what the atomic the atomic mass and the atomic number were but you have uranium it ejects uh helium and then it becomes thorium it was was it thorium yeah it was thorium okay and it was here wrong <laughs> yeah but that's basically what happens right yeah so beta decay um similar in that it ejects uh, a particle but it's kind of the opposite happens instead of going down the periodic table it will actually go up the periodic table or going down a topic at mass number it will actually gain a proton um so it happens when an element has too many neutrons and not enough protons so the neutron to proton ratio is really high um so it's actually very interesting what happens because it will take a neutron which is a neutral particle and it will turn that neutral particle into a proton. So it will give it a charge, and in doing so, it will eject an electron. That, yeah. <laughs> it's, so there's two ways you could interpret it. One goes down the 
particle physics interpretation, which I think is too complicated for <laughs> this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, another way to think about it is <clears throat> you can think of a neutron as kind of a proton and a neutron that came together. <clears throat> so they, the positive and negative charge cancel each other out, causing a neutral charge. <clears throat> That's one way you can think about it that is probably easier in terms of beta decay to understand how that can happen. Um, so this is typically, <clears throat> excuse me, with your lighter elements. So if you have like carbon-14, um, that's carbon is element number six. So, and the most common uh, isotope and mass it would be 12 atomic mass units. So it would have six protons and six neutrons, as opposed to six protons and eight neutrons, which would be carbon-14, which is not the most stable uh, structure for carbon. So it, it will take one of those eight neutrons, turn it into a proton, causing it to go from six to seven, so it turns into nitrogen. And then in the doing so, it will emit an electron in the form of a beta particle. That's really interesting, because I was thinking for a second, I was like, wait, then it becomes positive or negative, and then I was like, wait, no, because there's an electron with it. That just, yeah, it like, it seems like it wouldn't work out so easily, for some reason, but it does. Well, atoms typically, they want to become, or I shouldn't say want, because it's not a living thing, but um, they do what they have to in order to become as stable as they possibly can. And the further you go along the radioactive decay or nuclear change route, the crazier things get. Um, and actually, you know, if you really want to go into the specifics of how this happens, you have to get into the nuclear physics, the quantum physics, and the particle physics. This entire area is where a lot of different areas of science start to blend together. And it's honestly kind of confusing, and the math is really complicated. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is very interesting how a neutral particle becomes a positive particle and then a byproduct of that change would be basically an electron. So I always thought electrons were kind of just a little bit smaller than protons, but are they like they really... Are. Wait, They're, so... Their mass is basically negligible. So how does... Are neutrons bigger than both of them then? Well, since neutrons and protons have the same mass, I think neutrons are a teeny, teeny tiny bit heavier, um, potentially. That would be so, like, if you were to have that be like, the difference would be so far into the decimal places, it's basically negligible. They just same say the thing same. with why electrons basically have no masses because their mass is so far into the decimal places, it's basically, it's basically zero. Um, I mean, you are dealing with the nanoscale, which is, you know, unfathomably small. 
Yep, the super fun, unfathomably small, unfathom, the super fun, un, un, unfathomably small handle scale. I can talk today, it's good. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, and since beta particles, like we was talking about earlier with how beta radiation was coined beta because it could go through more, it could pass through more thicker foil before it was absorbed by it. And that is because the beta particle is considerably smaller than an alpha particle or a helium atom. You're basically comparing a helium atom to an electron. So the fact that one is significantly smaller, basically negligible in terms of mass, means it can pass through a lot more thickness before it is absorbed. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I feel like I say interesting way too much, but everything's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting stuff. I mean, you can't get the point. We think this is very interesting. Yep. Um, yes. So then the other one that's com the type of radiation that's commonly talked about would be gamma decay, which is um, kind of the outlier of the group. Everything else deals with particles. Gamma de decay is basically the emission of a wave and energy instead of a particle. So they'll basically emit gamma radiation, gamma waves, which are the highest frequency of waves, um, the highest frequency on the electromagnetic spectrum. And the atom remains basically the same, except it has less energy now. So if it was excited for some reason, um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head as to how it could have been excited. But if it was excited yeah. anyway. Yeah. It would just, it would ha it would contain too much energy, so in order, it would get rid of that to make it more stable, and then it would just emit energy. <laughs> That's really about it. That one's um, pretty it simple. It is actually, um, I should look at this, hold up. One second. It is actually used in the treatment of cancer. So it is, that's one application for it. Um, yeah. If you can get particles to emit that gamma radiation, you can isolate those cancer cells and you can try to irradiate them and kill the cancer cells. Is that what they do for radiation is they have the gamma rays or is that different? Um, I would assume there are different types of cancer treatments. Um, so. I would assume that's one of them. I'm gonna look that up at some point. <laughs> okay. Then there's one other thing we could talk about, which is I think is very, very, very interesting because it is honestly it's touching more into particle physics, but I wanna talk about it anyways, because it has to do with uh radioactive decay and that we positron decay. Um and this occurs when an atom has too many protons and not enough neutrons. It's kind of the reverse to beta decay. Um, so what happens is basically the same thing happens as you know beta decay. If you're looking at carbon again, which is like a lighter isotope of carbon, like carbon eleven, it would have you know five neutrons to six protons. So not even as many pro neutrons as it has protons. 
So then all the protons in that nucleus just kind of repelling each other. It will then take a proton and turn that proton into a neutron. So it will actually go down an, ato an atomic number, or down the atomic scale. And in doing so, it releases what's called a positron, which is basically an electron, except it has a positive charge. Okay, now we're seeing what it, is, what it actually is, when they discovered this, it was actually groundbreaking because it was the first discovery of what is called antimatter, which is why you're getting more into the particle physics part. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because literally every type of matter has some form of antimatter. And when antimatter and matter collide, they destroy each other. And if you actually look at images of matter and antimatter colliding, it is so beautiful. It is just, the pictures of it are just, it's just this beautiful array of light and particles. It's just, oh, it's gorgeous. You have to look at an actual like, picture and not like an artist's interpretation of it. The no, you don't need the artist's like... interpretation, but. <laughs> That is really, just, yeah. yeah. Because you would think that it would take away an electron just using an electron and a proton and put them together to make a neutron. But instead what it does is it's like, never mind, we're not going to do that. We're just going to make a positron instead because why not? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's interesting stuff. It's... It's like a completely different world at the atomic scale. And honestly, if it, it, it literally is pretty much the whole laws of physics and everything. Very, very weird. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's so interesting to me that it really creates antimatter when it's because it's unstable. It... Just, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't, I'm not good at explaining a lot of things, but it just, it's interesting. <laughs> it is. Um, I don't want to go too in-depth into it because, again, you get to the more complicated stuff that isn't technically chemistry, and this is a chemistry podcast. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and join us next time so we can continue talking about different ways that atoms change and go into a little fusion and fission. We hope to see you then.